What's good, everyone, and welcome to the first ever Bucks Film Room, where our goal is to make sure that every Bucks fan is smarter about basketball. We are looking to push sports blogging and writing as you know it and find creative ways to bring Bucks content right to you. You can follow us on Twitter at Bucks Film Room or find our in-depth content at www.bucksfilmroom.com. So if you're listening to this, that then you know that beginning today, I'll be releasing a daily mini podcast with my thoughts on your Milwaukee Bucks. And since there are just so many podcasts out there, this won't be extremely long. I'll try to keep it under 20 minutes. Mostly I'll be aiming for about 10 to 15 minutes, and I'll make sure that it's only Bucks-related stuff, so there'll be absolutely no fluff. And right out of the gate, I'll have this on SoundCloud and iTunes, so feel free to subscribe, rate us, leave a comment, I mean, whatever. Really, I just want to hear from you guys, and if you like it, if not, what can we do differently? So with that, let's just get started right out of the gate and just jump into things. Being that today is Sunday when I'm recording this, the last time the Bucks played was on Thursday night against the Celtics, and the Bucks took their first loss of the season, which... I'm okay with. I mean, you're not going to win them all, especially on the road. The Boston Celtics are the cream of the crop as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned, and they are the real deal. I mean, they haven't really been gelling yet so far this season as far as their offense is concerned. Their defense is still great as ever, but their offense hasn't been as good until they faced the Bucks and just absolutely blew them out from the three-point line. But let's just talk about that game from the Bucks' perspective. It it looked a lot like last year in the playoffs, um, the Jason Kidd slash Joe Prunty era, and, and that was kind of scary. Boston likes to switch everything on defense, and Milwaukee didn't really know what to do with that. It was like the first game against the Hornets. Milwaukee then just kind of reverted back to, all right, let's just take advantage of this and try to get two-pointers, and their, you know, their outside game just went all the way to hell, and... And they really didn't know how to handle it besides getting twos. And that's really wasn't very conducive to making a comeback because the Celtics were just shooting the lights out from downtown. And so that that part right there, I think that Milwaukee's going to have to figure out because teams now have shown that they can switch against them and not necessarily shut the Bucks' offense down because I don't think you're going to be able to do that this year, but at least slow it down. And so that's something that the Bucks are going to have to figure out. But I think at the end of the day, like at, the Bucks lost by four points, right? They they had multiple chances at the end. Eric Bledsoe, let's not even talk about him. I mean, I don't know. He's a nice player, but he just, these Boston Celtics, they seem to have him rattled. So just some perspective about the game is the Celtics shot the lights out. They set a franchise record for 24 made three-pointers in the game. Overall, they shot 55 threes, so they were 24 for 55, and a lot of that was because of the Bucks. I mean, the Bucks did not play them very well. They gave up a lot of wide-open threes, and a lot of that had to do with the defense. Milwaukee plays this drop coverage, and I wrote an article on BucksFilmRoom.com if you want to check it out. So Milwaukee plays this drop coverage in the pick-and-roll where they really want to force the other team into mid-range shots, but also so when, the, the, when an offensive player, a big man typically, 
is setting a ball screen for whoever has the ball, and the big man then will drop into the lane, at least at the free throw line, if not further into the lane. So then when the ball handler comes off the screen, his man is forced to go over the top of the screen, and so he has all this room to operate. And so what Boston was doing was they were then kicking it back out to the big man, to Al Horford, who would knock down a three, or they would get penetration off of that and then find a wing and knock it down for a three. Overall, it's just a lot of wide-open three-pointers by Boston, and you know that's why they set their franchise record 24, and they're just one off of, their, of the NBA record, which is 25. So for perspective, like I said, Boston set a franchise record for 24 made threes. Are they going to do that again this year? Probably not. Probably not. To be safe, probably not. If I was a betting man, which I may or may not be, I'm not going to, you know, talk about that on here, but the if I was a betting man, I would probably put down a couple hundred about they would not break that record again this year. So we have that on one end of things. On the other end, we have the Bucks. They didn't have their A game. I think Giannis kind of mentioned it afterward. Is I would maybe grade it as a B minus C plus game for Milwaukee. They did some nice things. It was frustrating, which may seem like the grade should be lower than that. But still, they did some nice things, and they hung around. They made a comeback in the fourth quarter, I believe. Don't quote me on this, but I believe they outscored Boston by 11 points in that fourth quarter. So they made a nice comeback in the fourth, and they had their opportunities down the stretch to win it. They just couldn't capitalize. They were sloppy. Chris Middleton, I don't know what was going on on that block. I don't think Kyrie pushed him. I think he was just off balance and lost his footing and landed out of bounds. Eric Bledsoe missed a free throw. Giannis missed a free throw. Giannis missed a layup, a reverse layup that he usually makes. He usually just dunks at, so... A lot of things happened. The Bucks didn't get their way, and they just barely lost. So I'm okay with that. I'm not happy about a loss at this point. I don't think I'll ever be happy about a loss with this Milwaukee Bucks team. I think that they're too good and too talented. But as far as last night, I'm not happy, but I'm not mad. I, I'm okay with it, and I'm okay with the loss. And so we'll just have to leave it at that. And I've, I've heard some people talking about, well, Mike Budenholzer, like he could have switched his defense up earlier, but he didn't want to give anything away for the playoffs. He knows that they might be seeing the Celtics later in the year, and he doesn't want to give anything away, but I'm not buying that. I think that maybe, maybe, but he, maybe he doesn't want to show Boston or he doesn't want to try to practice a different defense. Maybe he just wants the Bucks to get down this defense, this soft coverage drop pick and roll defense. Maybe he just wants them to practice that and get that down before he moves on. Because, I mean, the Bucks aren't like this studly team. Yeah, sure, they're off to this fast start, but no wins are guaranteed. So you want to get every win, especially early in the season against Boston like this. And you can't just flip a switch then in the playoffs and start playing a different style of defense and expect to have it perfected. Like that's something that you work on in practice. You work on in games against live opponents in order to really make sure that it fits and make sure that you have all the kinks worked out. And so I'm not buying that Budenholzer is playing this long game like Popovich might with the Spurs because this is only his year one. Popovich didn't do this year one with San Antonio. And so 
I'm not buying that. I think that, you know, Boonholzer just wanted to see how his players reacted, wanted to stick with the defense that he had put in place, hoping that Boston would eventually start missing, which mm, they really didn't. But I think, you know, it, it is what it is. Milwaukee still had their chances to win. I don't know if I said that. I think I did. And so it is what it is. Milwaukee lost by four points. They'll have another shot against Boston, I think, at the TD Garden again in the middle of December. And so we'll just see, you know, how that goes. Milwaukee has another game today and Sunday against the Sacramento Kings where they'll be challenged again. We'll get to that in a minute. Before we get to the Kings, though, I want to talk about Brooke Lopez. And on Twitter, I've been going off about his rebounding numbers. So Brooke Lopez, seven foot, two hundred seventy-five pounds. He only averages three rebounds a game, and that's just ridiculous. You know, his career high for rebounds per game is eight point six, but five times throughout his career, including this season, he's averaged six rebounds or fewer per game, and so that's just some crazy numbers for a seven-footer who's been on the court typically not this season, but in his career at least thirty minutes a game, and so. That's just a crazy number for three rebounds a game this year. Like, what is he doing? What What is going on? What is he doing wrong? Why isn't he getting in there? Why isn't he grabbing the rebounds? But I think that's where it all comes down to, you know, rebounds aren't everything. It's not like Russell Westbrook here grabbing however many rebounds a game in his triple-double season a couple of years ago. Rebounds, I think, are an overrated stat. They're a dying breed. It's something that you know, uneducated fans might point to to say this guy's a good rebounder. And that's where I'm here. I want us to all be on the same page. So here's a little perspective as far as Brooke Lopez goes and rebounds. When Lopez is on the court, the Bucks grab 79.1% of defensive rebounds. And that would be first in the NBA. So when Lopez is on the court, the Bucks are the best defensive rebounding team in the NBA. But when he's off the floor, the Bucks are only grabbing 70.3% of defensive rebounds, and that would rank 23rd in the NBA. So when Lopez is sitting, the Bucks are one of the bottom seven worst teams in the NBA at rebounding. And that's just a crazy number for a guy, like I said, who only averages three rebounds. But that's also where, another shameless plug here, I wrote about Lopez and his ability to box out and affect the game that way. Lopez is a very unselfish player, and he's not in it to get these personal stats. He's not in there to grab all these rebounds. I mean, if he wanted to, he wouldn't be grabbing like a crazy Giannis number like 15, 16, but he could be up there about 8, 9, 10 rebounds if he wanted to. But he's more worried about the team game. So last winter, all right, last winter the NBA decided to add this hustle stat category that tracks things like diving for loose balls, charges drawn, deflected passes and and one of the stats that they added is boxing out so somebody and I don't know how accurate this is necessarily but somebody tracks how many times each player boxes out on shots during the game and so Lopez ranks fifth in the NBA by averaging 9.9 box outs per game 
and that's only behind a couple of guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, Steven Adams is up there, Vujicic um, from the Magic, and Draymond Green is the, the fourth one that's ahead of Lopez. And so those are the only guys ahead of him, and Lopez is averaging 9.9 box outs per game. And I think that, you know, when I went back and watched film is he really doesn't focus on the ball, which is crazy to see him, but he focuses on his man. So what he does is he eliminates the other team's best offensive rebounder. I mean, multiple times, a lot of these clips I have is he's just driving the other team's best big man out of bounds. Like he had Joel Embiid behind the basket a couple of times, Zeller from the Hornets behind the basket. So it's just crazy that he prioritizes boxing out over the individual accolades, which in turn, like I said, makes the Bucks one of the best rebounding teams when he's on the floor. So I think that that's just something that I wanted to point out, something that kind of has come to my attention because the Bucks struggled with rebounding last year. I mean, especially in the playoffs against the Celtics, we saw like Boston a lot many times had multiple shots in one possession and that just changed the whole game around and so that's just not the case when Lopez is on the floor this year and he's a huge he's the biggest reason besides an adequate coaching scheme why Milwaukee can actually get defensive rebounds and if you've been watching the Bucks this year too they like to push the ball a little bit they like to get out and run and so you can't get out and run on made baskets and you have to get that ball going, get that ball up floor. And so Lopez, by not only by boxing out and he allows the Bucks to get the rebound, but he maybe allows one of their ball handlers because Milwaukee has multiple ball handlers. They have Bledsoe, they have Giannis, they have Malcolm Brogdon, they have Chris Middleton. You know, Tony Snell has even brought the ball up on a rebound a couple of times. Dante DiVincenzo, like they have a multiple guys who can just grab the rebound and go. And if Lopez has taken the biggest man of the on the opposing team out of the equation, it's just a win-win for the Bucks, and it's just one of the underrated things that Lopez does for this Milwaukee Bucks team that makes Lopez one of the greatest signings in the NBA this year. All right, so let's just take a quick look ahead to the Sacramento Kings. The Bucks come back home after playing on the road at Boston and play the Kings, and the Kings are one of the biggest early season surprises right along with the Bucks. So the Kings come into the game at six and three and and they're a pretty balanced team. You know, they have pretty nice defense, pretty nice offense, and they don't just rely on one guy to get the job done. They got they have five players averaging in double figures as far as scoring goes. They got Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, Willie Cauley Stein, Nemanja Bielitsa, and Marvin Bagley. All five, all five of those guys help carry the load and, and make at least, well, Bagley doesn't start, but the other four guys, they start. And they make that starting lineup. You know, everybody has to defend. Everybody has to has to work. And so they really put a lot of pressure on that opposing team because um, you can't just key in on one guy. So that's something to look for here against the Kings is that balanced scoring. They have a number of guys who could go off at any time. Uh, maybe not for huge nights, but, you know, they can still put the ball in the bucket. And I think that Bielitsa signing um, this year, he came over from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Very nice. He's an outside threat. So we talk a lot about threes, right? So the Kings, they don't take a bunch of threes. They only average 26.1 three-point attempts per game, which is 22nd in the league. But when they do take them, 
they knock them down. They're shooting 40% on those three-point attempts, which is second in the NBA. And so I think that's one thing to watch is if the Bucks are going to keep going to this defense that allows the opposing team to take threes, that the Kings could take advantage of that, especially if they start running pick and pops with Bielitsa and Buddy Heald. You know, that's you got the pull-up factor with Heald, and then you got the pop factor with Bielitsa. That's a pretty dangerous combination. So the Bucks are really going to have to figure out how to do that. And as far as the Bucks taking threes, though, the Kings do give up a bunch of threes as well. They give up 354 three-point attempts per game. So Milwaukee, they should have lots of opportunities to get out and run, run their offense, and find those open shots on the perimeter. I think Milwaukee can also take advantage of the Kings in the rebounding category. Sacramento is not a good rebounding team. They only rank 24th in the NBA at rebounding percentage by grabbing 48.1% of all available rebounds. And so if Milwaukee crashes the glass here and there, you know, you can see Ursan. Ursan loves those little tip, you know, he's a great volleyball player. He's got to be a great volleyball player. I want him on my team. I don't even play volleyball, but I want him on my team. He just does these nice little tips. He gets off his feet real quick. And so Milwaukee could take advantage of it that way, could take advantage of the threes. But I really expect them and Budenholzer to refocus this team and get back to what they're doing. You know, you saw the Bucks of old against Boston where they were taking advantage of switches and trying to go one-on-one and get two-pointers, but I think Budenholzer really wants to spread the floor, get some threes, and force the opposing team into some tough mid-range shots. So I think that I think we'll see Budenholzer get back to that. Um, and Milwaukee has a really tough schedule here coming up, you know, even though they're playing the Kings, they can't overlook them. The Kings are playing some good basketball, and Milwaukee's going to hit the road here early next week. Um, starting on Tuesday, they play the at the Portland Trailblazers, so they'll be hitting the road there. And so Portland, they're another good team. And so Milwaukee needs to handle their business here. They need to focus on Sacramento. They need to figure out the Kings, and they, they just need to get the job done against a team who, yeah, they've been surprising, but... At the end of the day, they're not nearly as talented as the Milwaukee Bucks. All right, so now I want to get to some of you guys' questions. I had reached out on Twitter asking you guys to send me some questions, so I have about three of them here lined up. And so, per usual, I'm going to butcher the names that the the Twitter handles or whatever. So this first one comes from at Ben Ramen, um, not like ramen noodles, but Ben R A U M A N. So Ben asks, do you think Giannis has begun to lose confidence in his three-point shot in the last few games? It seems like his attempts have gone down and he looks less inclined to shoot the pull-up when defenders are giving it to him, despite his insistence that he would continue to shoot them. So, yes, I think Giannis has lost confidence already in his three-point shot. Giannis is 1 for 17 on the season from downtown. Um, after one of those early games where he went 0 for 3 or something, or one game he was 0 for 6, um, Eric Name, uh, newly of The Athletic, asked him like if he's going to keep shooting, and Giannis gave a great quote like, yeah, I'm going to keep shooting, I'm going to keep doing this, no question about it, but there has been a question about it because um, Giannis has only attempted two three-point attempts in his last three games, and he's had plenty of opportunities to do so. Boston kept sinking into the lane, and he... Well, he was 
officially had one three-point shot and so he had multiple opportunities to pull up from the line pull up from the arc and knock a shot down but he chose to attack instead and so I think it's in his head a little bit I mean I think it's in anybody's head one for 17 that's not a good number I mean a lot of guys in this league could do at least two for 17 right and so I think it's messing with his head he sees how easy he can get to the basket and that's what he's used to when he was with Jason Kidd as he said, like Jason could told him not to shoot for the first few years of his career. And that's a bad habit or that's a hard habit to break now. And you can't just go from being told not to shoot and not practicing shooting to all of a sudden in one off season, all right, I got to shoot. I got to shoot. And so maybe these next, these last few days, they've had Friday off, Saturday off for practice. And so maybe he'll get back into that. But yeah, to answer your question, Ben, um, I do think Giannis has lost a little bit of confidence, a lot of confidence in his three-point shot. So the next question comes from at, um, at Evag Halos, E-F-A-G-H-E-L-O-S. And that person asks, should we have high hopes for this year and get on the high train and wait for next year? Once the players have learned the new system. So. I don't know what a high train is. Um, so I'm not going to advocate for that. I feel like that could be a trap. But should we have high hopes for this year? Heck yeah. I mean, why not? I think one of the best things about basketball is that, or sports in general, is that you make yourself vulnerable. You believe that your team can do it, and you put yourself out there. And so, yeah, it's disappointing if they lose, but if they win, it just feels that much better. I mean, that's why we all love sports is you put yourself out there. You believe. You think your team can do it. You think your team is better than every other team, even if they're not. And sometimes they might surprise you, and then you just feel vindicated, and you feel that much better. And when you have Giannis... I think anything is possible. He's proven that he can take over games and he can be the guy where other teams just can't stop. And so, yes, let's have high hopes for this year. Um, This is just the beginning of something special. And this might be the most talented combination of players the Bucks have over the next few years. And, And I only say that because you got guys like Lopez, Brogdon, Bledsoe, Middleton are all free agents, so likelihood that they all come back and or the the Bucks replace them with somebody better next year is probably low. So let's just let's just appreciate this season, see what it brings, and take it one game at a time. All right, the last question comes from Traytow Rules. Probably butchered that, but that's okay. And this person asks any early statistical holes in the Bucks play. Seems like the team ranks around the top of the league in every basic category. And yeah, the Bucks are doing great this year. I mean, when you're 7-1, and one, you are probably going to be at the top of the league around for most uh, statistical categories. And that's just what happens is a small sample size, eight games, but still the Bucks are up there. They're doing great. They're playing well. But the one bone that I have to pick is their turnovers. The Bucks are averaging 16.8 turnovers per game which is the third most in the NBA. The other teams up there are the Mavs, the Suns, and the Hawks. And that's three teams that you do not want to be in the same conversation with because they only have five combined wins, which if you're good at math or if you're even paying attention a little bit, you'll know the Bucks already have seven wins. So 
They need to figure that out. And Giannis has been the biggest culprit. He's averaging 4.9 turnovers per game, but you know he's not the only one because Middleton, Brogdon, and Bledsoe all average at least two turnovers as well. So I think that's one thing the Bucks really need to clean up is they want to push the ball, right? But they can't push the ball if they're always turning the ball over and giving the other team fast break opportunities. Um, you know, no team is perfect. Every team has something that they can work on. Um, even the Golden State Warriors, the Warriors typically turn the ball over a lot as well, you know. And so I think that's just something that, to answer the question, yeah, the Bucks need to clean up their turnovers. All right, well, that's all that I have for you guys today. So thank you for tuning in to the Bucks Film Room mini podcast. I'll be back tomorrow with my thoughts from the Bucks kings game and other relevant Bucks news. I think there's a couple other good topics that were thrown out to me when I had posted on Twitter. So I'll do that again tomorrow. So make sure to follow me um, at at Bucks Film Room on Twitter because I'll ask again for you guys' question and feedback so that way I make sure to cover the topics that you guys want to cover. Um, and you guys can also check out the website at www.bucksfilmroom.com. So thank you guys all, and I'll see you next time.